Thank you for joining us for the seventh episode of Origins and Evolution. This is part two of our space travel and cancer episode. Again, we'll start off with a question for Dimitar. How does the threat of cosmic radiation change from within our solar system versus outside of our star system? So within our solar system, in the inner part of the solar system, and that means Earth, Mars, maybe all the way to Jupiter, but not far beyond that, uh, we have to worry about radiation from the sun, which is similar to cosmic rays. That is, these are the particles released during active explosions on the surface of the sun. They're called coronal mass ejections, and they could be a threat to the health of astronauts. But once you go beyond the orbit of uh, Mars and Jupiter, and for sure, uh, these are not no longer that important. Then you're essentially 100% into the radiation damage due to the galactic cosmic rays. These are also shielded by to some extent, by the solar shield, which we call the heliosphere, which was crossed just recently by one of the early spacecraft uh, that left the solar system in that way. Once we cross that on our way to the nearby stars, we get the same flux from the high-energy cosmic rays, but also a small portion of the lower energies, Remember, though, that with radiation, it's the accumulative dose that matters. So time is also important in this. And all this space travel that we can consider beyond the solar system takes time. So that's why in the previous episode, Frank was asking about freezing the bodies of the astronauts and what happens in terms of damage. So the cosmic ray damage... Uh, is going to be important because it's a long journey. And so it's accumulated those. Dimitar, remind us um, where these cosmic, these galactic cosmic rays are probably coming from. It's really quite fascinating. And of course, you're not only an origins of life researcher, but you're an astro astronomer and astrophysicist. Thank you for the question, because we should have told our listeners last time where these cosmic rays come from. We call them galactic cosmic rays because their current understanding of their origin is that they're mostly produced within our Milky Way galaxy, although a fairly large portion probably originate from nearby galaxies. So they're also intergalactic in that sense. Uh, Again, to remind our listeners, these are mostly protons, the nuclei of hydrogen, moving at extremely high speeds. So there is nothing special about protons. We are made of many protons in our bodies. The only problem here is that they move so fast that they're like bullets. They're basically the damaging factor here is their speed and what we would call kinetic energy, the energy in their velocity, which anytime they encounter an atom, a molecule in an atom, they produce a whole burst of other particles and radiation, and that's where the damage comes from. Would you tell the listeners at home the percentage relative to the speed of light these particles are moving at? They're moving with uh, speeds comparable to the speed of light. Like um, we talk about 10%, 20%, so very fast. So where do they come from? 
it was a mystery for many years. I tried to see if there is a particular direction in the galaxy from which they might be coming. Uh, there is an indication that the center of the galaxy, the Milky Way, is uh, a particular direction from which we get more uh, cosmic rays than from others. But generally, the understanding is that they are the result of very energetic events. We call them events in general. Most of you would have heard about supernova explosions, which are uh, the end uh, points in the life of very massive stars, bigger and more massive than the sun, or the collision of two very dense remnants of uh, stars. As you know, the sun ends its life as a very dense core, which is called a white dwarf. Some more massive stars end their lives as neutron stars, or we know them as pulsars when they spin. And if two of those are in a pair, they eventually spin towards each other and merge or collide. A collision like that also looks like and uh, behaves like a supernova explosion. And all of these explosions produce bursts of very fast-moving protons, the cosmic rays. Similar explosions or events happen near black holes, and particularly the supermassive black holes in the center of galaxies. And as you know, there is one of those in the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And so that is a particularly active source of cosmic rays. Are uh, neutron star quakes also a source of these particles? We don't know that for sure, but there are some neutron stars which are very energetic. They spin very fast. They have very strong magnetic fields. And so uh, in this particular group of objects, you could easily produce uh, high-energy uh, particles as well. But the majority of the high-energy particles that we experience in the galaxy as cosmic rays are probably the result of what we call shock waves. After an explosion or during an explosion, a massive amount of gas hits another amount of gas. You get a shock wave in between. If there is a magnetic field involved, it could even sharpen the shock wave. And as a result of that, a small fraction, but sizable fraction of uh, protons leave that shock wave with extreme acceleration and keep traveling for the whole length of the galaxy and sometimes in between galaxies at these very high speeds because there is nothing to slow them down. There is no mechanism to basically bring them back to low velocities. No, no friction, no uh, magnetic fields to interact with them. So it seems to me we'll need not only repair mechanisms, but also shielding for interstellar travel. And whether that's water or other gels or polymers with many, many pro protons, with many, many hydrogen molecules, that may be part of what will be needed in addition to repair mechanisms and, and effectively dealing with cancer prevention or, or oncogenesis after a double-stranded DNA breaks. I agree. It will always be a combination of shielding and self-repair. 
Cosmic rays, are they isotropic out there? Do they come from all directions, as yeah, we uh, scientists say? Come from all directions. They don't just come that from the supermassive black hole at no, from no. nicely radially I mean, out from the center of the galaxy, in which case we would know the direction and could shield in that direction. Right. Yeah. They're long-lasting, so they basically, these particles, until they hit something, which they often do, but there's so many of them and so little to hit, that they can last forever. So they accumulate over time. So over time, there are many supernova explosions, many events with uh, super energetic events in near the center of the galaxy and the black hole. So this number of high energetic particles just increases with time. Ends up being essentially isotropic, i.e. from all and, directions. And yes. At least it within the disk more of less, our galaxy. More probably. or less isotropic, yeah. yes. Well, I was hoping that you had explained to me at some point that as we travel to Mars, which is a simpler problem by having all the water at the back of the ship uh, with, a, with a rear to the sun, would actually be a pretty good shield. And you need the water anyway for consumption, and you might as well use it for some shielding from the, from the uh, so solar radiation and fast particles. But once we get out of so outside of our solar system, no such luck, huh? Speaking of water, Frank, I have... Uh Question for you. Have you ever seen the water pool of a nuclear reactor, electrical nuclear reactor? No, I have not. Tell but us you must it. have seen a movie. Have you noticed the water pool glows with a kind of a faint blue light? I thought that was just Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's <laughs> a real thing. <laughs> it is actually an effect which is called Cherenkov radiation, ah. named after a physicist from the 50s in uh, Russian physicists in Soviet Union, Cherenkov. So basically, Cherenkov radiation is the radiation which is produced if a particle is moving faster than the speed of light. Now you would say, well, uh, how could a particle be moving faster? Than <laughs> Nothing moves as faster than the speed of light. Nothing moves faster than the speed of light in vacuum. That's one of the foundations of physics. But in another medium, like water, liquid water, the speed of light is no longer the speed of light in vacuum, so it's lower. So you could potentially have very high energy particle move faster than the speed of light in the medium, in the water. And so then you have radiation, which is particularly bluish. It uh, emits in the blue and near UV region, and it's called Cherenkov radiation. And apparently, astronauts who go to the moon or in high orbit occasionally experience it when a cosmic ray particles goes through their eyeball and produces Cherenkov radiation, it, they see blue light, a flashes of blue light. Isn't that fun? A little scary. <laughs> I, I did not know that. That is absolutely fascinating. Does the so medium change the color at all, if it were a different medium? No, medi it's always blue. It's a particular uh, range of uh, photons of light that is produced as a result of that. So along these lines, um, um, establishing magnetic fields that you, of the range and, and strength that you would need to get some shielding from a, an artificial magnetosphere, that's just technically not feasible because it would have to be so enormous you can't just have a little bit of a a few magnets or a bit of a magnetic field on one of these spaceships? Uh, Frank, you're making a, a great point. It is not uh, impossible. Uh, physically, it makes sense because 
cosmic rays, as we explained already, are particles. In other words, uh, and they're not neutrons. They are usually protons or alpha particles, so which means they charge. Mm-hmm. Which means that they could be uh, stopped by a magnetic field. No question about it. Because they have such high kinetic energy, the equivalent magnetic shield has to be very strong, very concentrated or uh, very extensive in space to accomplish that. And how this is accomplished is visibly seen uh, to some extent in the beautiful phenomenon of northern lights. So the question is, are we technically capable to create a, a shield from a magnetic field for a spaceship uh, that is effective for the cosmic rays that we expose to? And the answer is no. But is it uh, uh, possible that future innovation will develop it? Absolutely. Fascinating. Um, I know a lot about how to build superconducting magnets for NMR and MRI, and they, of course, have very, very high fields, except they're very, very localized. Um, but perhaps there is an angle there to at some point have some not only large, large solar panels that provide energy, at least within the solar system, uh, gets a little dimmer on the interstellar trip. And, of course, you also need solar sails perhaps to accelerate right. out of the solar system and to slow down when you get to another stellar system. Perhaps we'll also need some very, very large magnetic coils, superconducting coils that could provide a magnetic field that um, can provide some degree of uh, an artificial magnetosphere. The magnetic field uh, idea is actually good because cosmic rays are not the only uh, danger in interstellar travel. In interstellar travel, because you're moving fast, uh, even small uh, particles, but large, relatively large number of them, as we call interstellar dust, could be lethal to the spacecraft in terms of direct damage. And so this is something which we are moving with respect to them at high speed and uh, can be detected early enough to activate a strong local magnetic field and deflect them. With the cosmic rays, unfortunately, you can't do that because it is the particle that is moving very fast. And by the time you detect it, it's already here. In other words near the speed of light, so you don't have a detection capability to actually react on the speed of light uh, timescale. But with uh, particles, or basically rocks, that we run into, Space dust. Uh, this is what Space debris. then magnetic fields is the right way, not water. So basically, um, you, you came to a very good point, is that uh, this kind of concentrated magnetic f- uh, shields will probably be an important part of interstellar travel because of encountering crocs on the way. Well, it's certainly humbling, and uh, some of our discussions about the technological or perhaps even fundamental difficulties on of uh, interstellar travel of any biological creature of life are a good reminder of why Fermi's paradox or his question, why aren't they all here?, these other communicating, space-traveling civilizations, they, they would have all had to deal with some of these either fundamental or enormous technological problems, and they're, from, they're far from trivial. We, we cannot say that we can solve this in the next 100 years. If we can ever solve it, maybe it takes another 10,000 years of technology development, 
very, very difficult to predict because of the myriad of problems. But as you've pointed out, travel and manned space travel with, within our solar system to, to, to Mars in particular uh, will lead to an enormous technology development and requirements for technology development. And shockingly, it may also lead or require further biological evolution, which in this case would be actively, actively engineered which is um, something we'll all have to get used to, but it may be part of the of our future in, in, in inevitably. We'll do it anyway for therapeutic and, and other reasons on Earth, hopefully all ethical, but eventually it may also enable us to become a, a civilization that can travel through space because someday we will have to. Thank you for joining us for the seventh episode of Origins and Evolution, This has been part two of our space travel and cancer episode. Please join us again in what likely will be 2021. 